someone once told me time is a flat circle. If everything we've ever done or will do, we're gonna do over and over and over again. Hey, I'm Kelly. And I'm Michael. We're brother and sister, armchair detectives, excited for the Friends reunion on HBO Max, May 27th, and your host for this week's episode of the Flat Circle Podcast. In today's episode, we will discuss the 1974 brutal murder and spookiness surrounding victim and former University of Minnesota undergrad student Mary Schlaes. Mary Schlaes graduated with honors from the University of Minnesota in 1973. She was a talented artist with an exhibit of paintings, sculptures, and drawings. Not only that, but she was also fluent in Dutch, German, and at that time had recently begun to learn Japanese. Mary loved to travel. She had been all over the United States and Europe. Often, her method of travel was hitchhiking. Hitchhiking was a preferred method of travel for many young people who lived during the 1960s and 1970s. So it wasn't unusual to see someone traveling by foot on the side of the highway, with only a small gathering of possessions thumbing for a ride. Since Mary had been hitchhiking for years, it's safe to say that while I'm sure she was aware of the notion that strange, crazy people always pick up hitchhikers until her death, she hadn't experienced this, so it was her preferred method of travel. On the morning of February 15, 1974, on what was the last day of Mary Schley's life, she said goodbye to her roommate, Judith Daniel. She told Judith that she was heading to an art show in Chicago. She wore a heavy green jacket that her brother had given her for Christmas the year before, and she left the apartment with a sign hung around her neck and the words Madison in big, bold lettering on the sign. Mary was excited. An artist traveling to an art show in Chicago is a big deal. And Mary, being an artist herself, she knew that she would also have an opportunity to meet with and speak with art dealers and fellow artists about her own art. Her dreams were to someday live in New York as an artist. Her body was discovered in a ditch along a dead-end road in the Elk Lake area of Wisconsin near the Dunn-Eau Claire County line that same day at 1.15 p.m. She had managed to travel 90 miles from home and was only four miles from Interstate 94. Investigators found that she had been stabbed 15 times in the neck, back, and stomach. Her purse and coat were both missing. She put up one hell of a fight. They found defensive wounds and scratches all up and down her hands and arms. In addition to the fatal night wounds, she was also brutally beaten. Now, local area resident Daniel Anderson had driven by the dead-end road where they eventually found the body of Mary Schlaes. He noticed a late-model gold compact car parked at the side of the road. Now, you may be thinking what I also thought 
when I came across that piece of information. That's kind of suspect, right? That he just happened to be riding down this dead-end road where he saw a car and what looked to be two men fighting. However, to his credit, Anderson stated that he was out taking his dog for a ride and wanted to go down some side roads to extend the ride. He reported that he thought he saw the Park Gold car and two men fighting, as I mentioned before. And as he drove back home, he was thinking to himself about the scene at the side of the road. Things just weren't sitting quite right with him. So he went back home. He quickly tied his dog up and told his wife that someone was injured at the side of the road and headed back to the spot to help. On the way, he grabbed his neighbor, Dan Murphy. It's worth noting that another person had reported seeing a man and woman fighting with the man throwing the woman down into the snow, but I don't believe that they ever confirmed the person that had said that. When he got to the site where the car was, a local Culligan driver was standing over the body in the ditch. The unidentified Culligan man discovered the body first, but oddly, the police never found him for questioning, or at least there's no record in this case of investigators ever questioning him. He was only at the scene for maybe three to four minutes, speaking with Daniel Anderson and his friend, before he had to take off and resume deliveries. Eight months later, an anonymous person sent a note to the crime lab. The handwritten message read, Did you ever think the man who found the murdered girl at Elk Lake also put her there? At this point, the case had been under eight months of investigation, with very few leads and no arrests. They interviewed over 100 people formally and made contact with several hundred other people. Daniel Anderson underwent hypnosis twice. They put together lineups for him to choose a suspect from. All of those efforts turned up nothing. In their evidence box for the case, they had a lone photo of an unidentified white male, which they found at Mary's residence. In addition, they found an orange-black stocking cap with stray hairs lying not far from her body. The state crime lab was able to match the hairs to over a dozen people. Skin and blood samples were taken from under her fingernails, and they made plasters of the tire tracks, which unfortunately didn't turn out well, since there was still snow on the ground. The body of Mary Schleis was also partially hidden by the snow. For one investigator, Craig Kozer, this cold case is the one that still haunts him. He would reportedly dedicate some time to the case each month. In the end, they were unable to find a motive, a killer, or any additional evidence or leads that might help bring Mary's assailant to justice. Kozer has a few leads to follow up, but he noted, The thing that probably worries me most about cases like this is that somebody has the ability to go out and commit such a horrendous crime is still out there, he said. Maybe they've committed again and haven't been caught. I'd sure like to see them locked up before that happens. In 2009, Mary Schleis's body was exhumed and investigators were able to grab more DNA samples. Now, you may have heard of the I-5 killer, Randall Woodfield, who was active during that time. Mary fit his profile and he fit the description of the man that people saw fighting near the gold compact car that snowy February day in 1974. Many people believe that Mary was a victim of the I-5 killer, though he's never confessed to that, and the police have never made an official statement to back up that suspicion. To this day, the case has never been solved. Mary Schleis and her family has never got justice they deserved. This is where the case 
gets kind of spooky. So I, at this point, I think it's fair to say that while the case remains cold, Mary's spirit is also in a state of unrest. Many people tell the tale of the lone woman with dark blonde hair walking on the side of the road, hitching for a ride in the Elk Lake Dam area. They say that when you see her, she's as solid as anything. She's as solid as you and me. She's as solid as the sidewalk. Yet there's a slight glow that surrounds her. In one story, two fishermen were sitting close to the Elk Dam Lake one afternoon. Like good fishermen, they sat in silence waiting for a bite. One of the men turned his head to look behind him because he was getting kind of tired of just looking at the lake. And when he looked back, he found that a young woman with blonde hair and an eerie glow was standing behind him. And she was just staring. He calmly turned back to his companion to tell him of the strange woman standing behind them. After he said that, the other man looked at him and calmly stated, I know. That's why I'm not turning around to look. Twenty years after Mary's death, another strange story came to light. Virginia Hendricks, an elderly resident nearby, told the tale of a young woman with blonde hair, capri pants, pink sweater, and a glow, who would visit her every day in her garden. She said the woman's name was Mary. Now, most people thought that perhaps Mrs. Hendricks was hallucinating because she had just been diagnosed with dementia at that time. Also, as unsettling as her story was, Mary had actually been wearing a maroon sweater and denim slacks on the day she died. However, it does still beg the question that perhaps that was Mary. Still, to this day, people swear that the ghost of Mary Schleys is still haunting the Elk Lake Dam. Other sightings and encounters with her spirit have been reported. So this is like one of those really spooky cases. Yeah. For some reason, whatever I think of like the 60s and the 70s, I do think of the rise of the serial killer. And mm -hmm. I think it's because... You know, during that time, the FBI, um, you know, as we learned, right, with mine hunters, they were sort oh, of yeah. gathering together this notion that there were sequence killers out there or, mm -hmm. or serial murders, people who would murder in a series. And there was always some kind of a pattern with the victims, you know, either the hair color, the height, the eye color, everything um, you know, would match and they would choose victims based on some kind of preference like this. And with Mary, I, I definitely feel like this could have been a serial killer case. Uh, whether it was oh, the I-5 sure. killer or not, I don't really know. I think um, she was stabbed quite a bit, but they don't, none of the reports release whether or not there was any sexual abuse involved. And that was the I-5 killer's MO, as we'll find out in another episode. And so I don't know that it was him necessarily, but I do think that she was taken out by a serial killer. It's really interesting in terms of I, the ghost thing is kind of like, that was a turn in the story I wasn't expecting. Um, you don't really hear about ghost stories after like a, a famed murder no. of this. Usually it's like it's 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 a ghost like um 
something that was just in passing. Remember the ghost story of Resurrection Mary in Chicago? Yeah. And you didn't really know how she became a ghost. And that was just a story of basically an accident off a bridge. But this is a, could be a true. I mean, if it, if she is a ghost it, it, from a murder, from a popular murder. Boy, that's that's just chilling. That's bone chilling. It is bone chilling. And it's also kind of sad, too, because they say that like ghosts exist, you know, on this earthly plane because they can't move on for some reason. So either they don't realize that they're dead or they have some unfinished business. Um, And so it looks like to this point, Mary has just been walking the Elk Lake area with her unfinished business. Yeah, that's what it seems. And I wonder what that unfinished business could pertain to. I mean, certainly a few different things, but it's sad because her life was taken obviously far too soon mm-hmm. but one thing we'll get in when we ever do we will be talking about paul woodfield by the way in a future episode and one thing that i always think that's really interesting is there's more than one i5 killer you've heard of the i5 strangler um there's a diff- a lot of different a lot of things happen on i5 and it's yeah that's fucking- true fucking scary i mean they found bodies along i-5 over the decades and they think there's either you know the serial killers who had they have caught have done them they also think there could be more out there that haven't been determined so that's to me that's just that's haunting so this kind of reminds me of a scene in mine hunters where um jonathan groth's character holden ford is talking to cameron Britton's character edmund kemper and uh they're having a conversation about serial killers. And I think Edmund Kemper says something to the effect that, you know, there are more people like me out there, right? And what's chilling is like, even though there's this sense of relief that, you know, some of these killers are be able they're able to make it behind bars or they're they're able to catch these killers and they're able mm-hmm. to put them behind bars and you feel this sense of relief there's also like a following sense of unease because you realize that they're not the only ones out there and maybe the worst is yet to come i mean you just don't know god let's hope the worst isn't yet to come no it's just I, I agree that that's i agree with that that's uh that's always yeah that's crazy that's still crazy. Um, on the on the ghost end of it, man, it's I can't just get over the ghost aspect of it because this this report of her kind of walking up along, you know, uh, Elk Elk Lake Dam is like haunting that area. I mean, there's more than one person that has seen it, and that's unrelated to the other people. So yep, absolutely, multiple and, stories. The same thing with you know with Resurrection Mary and other ghost sightings that which we'll talk about in the future which is you know stay tuned for those but uh for for this it's it's creepy because the way her life was taken and it's so new i guess i mean even though it was a while ago for us but it's so new that she is she's a ghost and she's she's haunting that it's like what does she want and it's just it's yeah yeah, and it's kind Bummer, of sad, man. too, especially in situations where they are murdered or maimed and stuff like this. So you already yeah. sort of feel like they've gone through the worst that anybody could possibly go through. And yeah. yet their spirit is still reliving 
that moment. So it's like they never, you know, if you think about a ghost and you think about someone's spirit and whether or not you believe that the soul is attached to the spirit or not, I guess it depends, right? But when you look at their their spirit and they are caught on the earthly plane, it does it makes you sad because it feels like that horror continues to happen over and over and over again unless you get some kind of a ghost whisper scenario where they can you know, whisper her back into the light, she's still essentially lost and forever suffering. Randall Woodfield, that's, do you think, do you think in studying this case, do you think he did it? After, after researching Randall Woodfield, I think it's possible because there are some markers like for example the fact that she was stabbed 15 times in the neck and the back and the stomach um but then they don't mention if she suffered any sexual assault and Mm. that was part of his mo now when we get into that there will be some other things i think that you and i will be able to draw parallels to why we think it could be him Mm. because at that time the sexual assault might not have been on her um, per se, like he might have ordered her to like give him a blowjob or or masturbate him or something before mm. he killed her. So that is a possibility. I do think it's a possibility, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. And then with her, there's really not a lot of evidence to point which way it could be. Obviously, no. Randall Randall Woodfield has been caught, but with with her, there wasn't really a lot of uh, evidence to kind of back up who did it. No, and they put a lot of time and effort into this particular case. And like I mentioned before, there's that one police officer, Craig Kozer, who's still looking into the case. He's still spending some time on it. And I think with the advances in DNA technology, that was the reason why in 2009, they exhumed her body to try and get more DNA evidence. And it it appears that they were able to get more DNA, but I don't think they've still been able to attach that to who actually attacked her. So the case continues to be cold and remain unsolved to this day. I was going to ask you about that. And, and, and from what I read, they won't let us know because we're talking about Randall Woodfield, but they won't let us know if that DNA that they found was the DNA from that night or they're just like being really tight lipped about it. They're saying yes. it could be, but they're not, they don't want to give anything away. Nope. So that's why we still think Randall Woodfield could be a possibility because obviously his DNA is already in record, but they're not going to say anything until they know for sure. So we don't know if it was a personal DNA they got. We don't know if it's DNA that's even relevant to the case. Um, it's, it's just a, it's one of those sad cases that you just hope is, is solved in the near future, just to give not only Mary's family, uh, some justice or some sense of peace, but also if she's a wandering soul on this highway, it gives her a sense of peace. Yeah, you would at least you would hope so. You know, you would hope that that could give her a sense of peace. And uh, cases like these where they remain unsolved, you know, on one hand, you can say, well, at least they have the body. So the parents have some sort of closure. They're not wondering, you know, is our daughter still out there alive somewhere? They're not wondering that anymore. So they do have some closure as far as, you know, where she is, hopefully. Um, But yeah, again, you you still don't get the justice. And it's always sad when these cases remain that cold. Yeah. As always, thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you found this episode interesting, please join us next week as we discuss the I-5 killer, Randall Woodfield. 
In the meantime, stay kind, stay curious, and always question the world around you. See ya.